Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Welcome to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Connie Thiessen. This episode brought to you by Cover Media. Cover Media and the World Entertainment News Network deliver licensed media content for your website, including breaking lifestyle news, high-res photos, and HD video stories, updated 24-7. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. The CRTC has unveiled its Internet Code for Internet Service Providers, aimed at better safeguarding Canadians against the shady practices of big telecom. While introducing measures like more frequent usage warnings and an extended cancellation period, some public interest groups say the code does not go far enough after a flawed process that saw most telecom researchers and consumer advocacy organizations boycott the proceeding. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, John Lawford, Executive Director of the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, who says in the current climate, it's increasingly difficult for PIAC to represent the consumer. My name is John Lawford. I'm the Executive Director and General Counsel at the Public Interest Advocacy Centre in Ottawa. And PIAC represents... uh, consumers and in particular vulnerable consumers largely in areas that we think of as essential services things like telecommunications broadcasting financial services privacy and transportation and a bit of energy so speaking of the internet code this is one of the most contentious CRTC proceedings in recent memory. And I want you to take us back to November and set the stage as to what was going on concurrent to the commission initiating this consultation. Yeah, the uh, start, I think, for me, was we were in a hearing about the uh, sales practices of uh, communications providers, that's broadcasting, in other words, broadcasting distribution companies and all of the telecom services companies and how they sell all those products door-to-door or on the phone or online. And we were hearing a lot of stories from the public about having uh, prices that changed mid-contract or being sold uh, a particular deal that in the end uh, the price was different for or services weren't, weren't the same as described or there were fees that were not revealed uh, if you quit and these sorts of things. Some high-pressure sales to especially seniors as well came up a lot. And also just an overall overselling, a lot of uh, a lot of pressure in the market to get people to sign up to more and more services. And um, during that hearing, uh, which we had to fight to get, by the way, because CRTC at first didn't want to acknowledge there was a sales practices issue. Anyway, during that hearing... Um, one of the commissioners piped up and said, well, shouldn't we be doing an internet code? Because a lot of the issues you were talking about seem to be in relation to selling people either home internet or home internet and uh, home TV service, whether it was cable-based or uh, IPTV. I think everybody, it was, I believe, during our presentation, and I, I kind of took a step back because I, 
I had thought at the start of the proceeding, they said, we will not be discussing codes <laughs> and, uh, and during this hearing. And so I was surprised that they said that, and they seemed very keen to start working on it right away. And that was a little, a little surprising. And then I believe this early part of the year, there was a sudden announcement that they um, they wanted to uh, establish a wireless, sorry, an internet code, um, complete with a draft internet code um, attached to the notice of consultation. If I recall correctly, you know, within if not hours, then certainly a day or two, um, I had contacted a number of other public interest interveners who would likely help out on arguments for the customer side and said, I, I don't think we can do this in the time that they've given us because it, there was a very short timeline, we weren't expecting it, and there was a review, a very comprehensive review of all the broadcasting and telecom legislation, which I think some people who listen to your show might remember, which is the Broadcasting and Telecom Legislative Review. It's still ongoing, in fact. Uh, and that was due uh, also in... Um, in late January, so so we said, can we have a a little more time to to put in something on the internet code because we really weren't expecting it. And the commission did not grant that, which is a bit strange because we didn't ask for that much time. Or normally, when you ask for four weeks, you get two, and uh, they just flat out said no, and we want this thing done. And so that was the first indication something weird was going on. And and unfortunately, that you know it put a, our organization in a real bind. Uh, we had already had a number of problems with uh, funding in the last year, and, and I have to lay a good portion of the blame for our financial woes at CRTC's feet because we typically get a fair bit of our budget from work we do before the CRTC, and they've been very slow about issuing um, awards of uh, costs for our work in the last couple or three years. So all that to say, where, where, where did we end up? We ended up in basically very low staff situation at our organization and all the other consumer groups also being very preoccupied with this large government review of exactly the same sector. And we thought it was unfair CRTC was charging ahead with this for no particular reason. We didn't even have the results of the sales practices hearing yet, and we had no idea what they were trying to do here. Um, so I, I called for a boycott of the consumer participation in the hearing and of the internet code and a number of groups followed us and did not participate. Well, and in fact, only two did participate. Effectively, yes. We have a couple of Quebec-based consumer, well, one consumer group and one seniors group, uh, and the rest of the consumer groups only uh, wrote in letters saying we're not going to participate. <laughs> And um, because of the timeline and and this other review going on, and you know we need we need a little bit of we need a little bit of maneuver maneuvering room here. Yeah. Right. So twenty eight business days. I I want I want you to talk about the imbalance between you know the the staffing levels at a consumer group versus let's say lawyers for Bell Media, which probably count into the hundreds. <laughs> Uh, I think that the regulatory departments of the big broadcasters and, and telecom people are actually not as big as they used to be. That's actually a bad thing. Um, they still do have many more people than we do, of course. They they might have uh, 10 or 20 in the largest ones, but it's it's not hundreds. But they do have resources, so if they need to um, ask people to work on something, 
uh, overtime or they've got to bring in extra people, they, they can afford that and they do do that. So shorter timelines are easier for the big companies to handle and, and in any case, as I said, they, they can afford to drop everything and, and do a, a regulatory hearing and they can handle public consultations and government consultations and everything all at once. Uh, we typically have in this office between one and um, three lawyers, depending on how much money we have at the time. At that particular time, we had uh, myself and we had just laid off one lawyer, so it was really just me and the Arctic News student in terms of people with legal training. So it was a bit tight around here, and um, one and one, one and a half people who are spending half their time writing submissions on something else is... And there are other things that we work in, as I said, you know, other sectors. So it was pretty much impossible for us to uh, to handle this without going into a, a really huge explanation that PIAC was in difficult spot. I thought it was reasonable to ask for a, a delay so that we could at least have time to um, clear our decks. Part of that financial crunch was the commission's making. I believe so. Uh, we have complained the last three years to Minister of Heritage and Minister of uh, innovation science and economic development that even though CRTC is an independent agency, they, they've they been dragging their feet on, on issuing what we call cost awards, which is a system which is not unique to CRTC, also is done in Ontario Energy Board, for example, but that uh, basically pays uh, groups that represent the public interest lawyer fees uh, from the companies that we're arguing against to make a a case for ratepayers or for the public, uh, on the theory that the companies pay their lawyers out of, you know, the amounts that they charge their customers. So it's only fair that they should pay uh, in a regulatory board for someone to present the other side, because we find the public sometimes really gets engaged in issues, but a lot of the time they don't. And even when they're really engaged in issues, and they do spend the time to email the CRTC about say, for example, uh, sales practices or something, you know, they're describing their very particular situation. Um, they don't know the law in telecom, why would you, and broadcasting. And, and they're, they can't advocate on the same level as, obviously, Bell or Telus or Roger lawyers. And uh, that's our job. So uh, it's a good system. It works well. But the CRTC got so far behind in giving us our um, awards, which normally come about the same time as the decision comes out, in some cases, we were waiting over a year, up to 18 months, to be paid for work that we had done that was complete a year and a half ago. And it's very difficult to run a business where your cash flow time is over a year. <laughs> uh, almost impossible, I'm finding, actually. So, so yes, I have to lay a fair bit of it at the feet of the CRT because it's not, it's not a difficult task. The, the awards they have to write are probably three, three four pages, and, um, and unfortunately, they just let them languish. So after this limited time period that everybody's given to respond to the proposed Internet Code of Conduct, then the Commission seemingly reopened the consultation in late February via public comments on Facebook. What, what yeah. was your initial response to that? We didn't write into the Commission because we were boycotting, but I was dismayed because uh, it seemed to indicate two things to me. One, that the Commission was desperate to... <laughs> get more public input and, and to try to show some legitimacy because they weren't receiving a lot of public comments on this on this particular proceeding because I in part because the consumer groups were not there and, and drumming up people to send 
send them to go comment and and partly because yeah it's just it's a technical kind of hearing you're not going to get much of the consumer side explained again by people just putting in their their comments so they they went and doubled down and got tried to get more direct consumer input um at least to have a record that showed that they had tried to consider the public interest point of view but my main concern is like i said the the public interest or the the public view or the customer view is presented in an unformed way kind of like dough you know and and we're the bakers so if you, if you don't give the bakers a chance to come in and bake the bread then it's just you know it's dough it never kind of amounts to anything and i think that ended up being reflected in the final in the final product from the the commission which wasn't so good so why do you think the new internet code doesn't go far enough it doesn't go far enough um, because it doesn't address the things that matter most to consumers about their internet service. Consumers want to have internet service that is reliable and doesn't cost too much. And even if it's a big expense, because it's now become an essential like water or electricity in your in your home, um, it has to work and it has to be has to fit in the budget along with water and food and um, electricity and heat and stuff like that. So if the price changes, people get quite dismayed because it's coming out of their core budget. And this code allows the companies to offer a promotional price as much as they like or discounts. And that's not allowed under the wireless code because it was found there that consumers don't pay attention to the details of the promotion or the discount. They don't understand how it works. And so they believe the lower price is their uh, price for all of the time they have their contract and they budget accordingly. And then it turns to the promotion ends after six months and suddenly they have a large increase and they can't afford it. And that's happening with home internet. And unfortunately, this code says that's just fine. Whereas the wireless code said, no, 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 you cannot change the price at all. Because we know consumers, they don't read stuff. You know, they, they are always optimistic if they see a low price they assume that that's what it's going to be for the whole time that's just human nature and the companies play on that because they sell you on the lowest price point in a promotion and they make less um, of a big deal of what it might rise to if they mention it at all so this code just says companies have to send you an email the day after you agree to something summarizing the terms of your deal and that deal could include include promotions or discounts. So what's going to happen is people won't read that email, and then they'll be surprised six months later when the price goes up. That's a big one. The second one is overage fees. So on home internet, as you probably know, if you have, a, say, a 100 uh, gigabytes of usage and you go over, then the overage charges are sometimes per megabyte, and they're things like, you know, 70 cents or a dollar and per megabyte or making it, you know, it can be in the hundreds of dollars if you if you go over by a fair bit. And on the wireless code, again, there's a an absolute dollar cap of $50 for overage fees, no matter what the contract says, in order to protect consumers from large overage bills and bill shock. This internet code just mandates sending people notices that you're getting near your overage limit. So... That's good. It's one step, but there's no safety net. So if you do go over and say somebody in the house responds, it's okay, I want to continue with my overage, or they just ignore the messages, 
there could be very large bill shock type, you know, $2,000 kind of bills uh, for overage very easily. And it seems incongruous to us that that doesn't happen for wireless, but now it's going to happen for people for home internet. And so I don't see why the, the two codes aren't similarly protective. And I can go on. I can go on. <laughs> it's up to you. There's more things. Okay, um, go ahead. There's one. I'll tell, do one more at least. The wireless code equally limits early early cancellation fees. And uh, in the past, people complained bitterly about uh, large fees you had to pay to the wireless provider, even if you wanted to leave ta- two days before the end of your contract. And that was largely the spur for the two-year rule and the where you can get out of your contract in two years on a wireless cell phone. And we, 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 I guess, thought there would be a similar rule for home internet. Um, but the commission said, no, no, you can charge an early cancellation fee uh, for home internet in one of two ways. Either you can say that the, you know, you have a modem in your house or a router that the company gives you to make your internet work. And uh, if they have a price for that, say $2,000 for the two of them, that's how much it costs to get out of your contract. Now, as your contract gets to two years, they have to reduce that $2,000 down to zero by the equal amounts each month to to be less and less. But halfway through, say, there might still be $1,000 to get out of your contract. That'll stop people from breaking their internet contract early if they're unhappy with the service and switching to another company. And then for those folks where they don't give you a modem, say you have your own, or they can put any price they want on cancellation. So an early cancellation fee of, I don't know, $10,000 could be put in your contract. And unless you're paying attention and you see it, it could be pretty, it could still be $5,000 a year halfway through your contract, which I hope none of the companies will do, but they have the right under this code to do. And early cancellation fees are just, you know, they're so like early 2000s. It's, it's, we've moved past that on wireless. I don't understand why early cancellation fees should apply to home internet. We're trying to let people switch from provider to provider to put more competitive pressure on companies to lower prices and do better with service. So it's counterproductive. I, I was very, very, very surprised that that's permitted. I put the question of data caps to the commission, and and they came back to me. The commission notes that many customers rely on Internet services to access other important services like home alarm systems, voice over Internet protocol, IPTV, implementing an obligation that could lead to the customer having to suspend their Internet service to avoid incurring additional data overage charges would affect these other services. Further, the commission acknowledges the issue of data overage charges is less acute in the internet service mm-hmm. market than in the mobile wireless market. Um, and then I also asked about advertised speeds, yeah. uh, which the commission considers uh, outside the scope of the internet code. It's another problem. So what do you make? What do you make of that? Well, the first one, it sounds good that you don't want to have your home alarm system turn off just because you hit your overage cap. But as with wireless, the wireless code, if, if you need to use overage, the account holder, the person who pays the bill, can authorize overage at whatever the rate is, uh, as long as they think about it and they decide to do it. And then they just say yes to the company and then the data continues. The same rule could be here. It's just that 
they're picking on a, a one example where it could be easily solved by somebody just sending a message back saying, yes, I do explicitly allow you to charge overage because there's two days left and I don't want my home alarm system to not function. 98% of the time, I would imagine, people are more likely just blowing through their data and paying a large bill and they don't realize they're doing it or someone in the house is authorizing it and it's not necessarily the person that pays the bill like perhaps teenagers. <laughs> so that's more where I'm coming from, less where people have... I mean, the commission is picking a very particular case which I think is solvable. And then in terms of internet speeds, that's the... Besides price, that's the number two problem people have with internet home services is, yes, they're essential, but they're not the speed that we were promised, or it's not the speed that, yeah, either the rep promised or the the package indicates. So it might indicate 50 megabits per second, but I never get more than five. And when I call tech support, then they try this and that, but I never get it over seven, and, and it goes back to five, and it's inadequate for me to use. And I would have thought when I was buying that if the top-line speed on the website said 50 megabits per second, I was going to achieve that. And so either the advertising or the offers are misleading, frankly, because you cannot, on an average connection during an average busy time of day, uh, get even close to the speeds that are promised. I suspect if you had dug a little harder with CRTC, they would say they're doing speed monitoring tests because they are, and that they will eventually follow up on those, and if there's a problem, they will address it. But we have a lot of consumer testimonials and, and submissions, frankly, even to the Internet Code proceeding, that said, this is my exact problem. I was promised adequate Internet speed, and I don't think it's anywhere near what I'm promised, and uh, I would like my money back, and I can't get out of the contract, or I would like my money back, and they gave me back $10 instead of you know, knocking me down to a lower tier price that accords with the speed I'm really getting. Lots of comments like that. I think that advertising speed can be can be regulated. And in England and Australia, they require the companies to only advertise and promise speeds which you can achieve um, at a busy time of day with an average connection, doing normal, quote-unquote, normal things like maybe viewing a YouTube video and some email and maybe, you know, streaming some music. If it's not achieving those average speeds, you can't advertise its theoretical maximum. I think that's that's perfectly doable, and it would have been a very appropriate time to set rules. John, you think there's a larger issue at hand here in that the Commission believes they know what's in the public interest. They've stated that in a number of forums and on their website that that they they regulate in the public interest and i guess at the very highest level like any court or any tribunal or any part of government they are working for the people <laughs> and yes you could say that is the public interest in a very grand sense but honestly their act has nothing that gives them direction to consider the public interest per se they are to follow the requirements of the Broadcasting Act and the Telecom Act and the policy objectives there, which are a bunch of, a long laundry list, as people know of. But none of them specifically says you shall advocate for the public. It puts them in an awkward position then because then they're trying to regulate companies and they're saying they're 
they're arguing for the public interest, it doesn't make sense. Uh, they should be a neutral, to the extent they can, a neutral, independent arbitrator and avoiding politics and avoiding representing one side or the other or claiming to. And I'm finding lately that the rhetoric out of the CRTC is that they are the arbiters of the public interest. They are actually the advocates of the public interest, in effect. And the the results of that are that groups like PIAC and uh, other consumer groups that come in and give various views of the public interest are now unnecessary to the commission because they say, well, nice to have you if you can come, but you know, we 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 are the public interest. We know what the public interest is. And for example, if you say, well, we really, you know, your timelines are unreasonable or we really can't do what you're doing, they just say, well, you know, well, we can handle it. We don't really need you. They wouldn't do that to the industry. They wouldn't say, you know, if Bell and Tellison Rogers wrote in and said, your timeline is is impossible for us, we have, I don't know, some other big proceedings on that take all of our resources, they would have got a delay because the commission wouldn't turn around and say, well, you, you know, we we know what the industry interest is because we do this every day. We don't need your input and we can substitute our opinion for it. It's not true. They can't They can't substitute the public's opinion for it and they can't substitute the industry's opinion. And And that's what they've taken to doing. And I feel like our group is marginalized. And with the slow cost awards, I feel like we're trying to be eased out of the commission's work. I know that they've already suggested to that review I talked about at the top, the Broadcasting and Telecom review in getting rid of the cost award process, which I spoke about, which allows us to argue on an equal footing with the companies and instead replace it either with a public advocate that's government-run or... um, to give some unspecified funding to us, but not out of the company's pockets to argue against them. But the cost award regime works very well because it does allow us to, on a fairly equal footing, uh, compete with the uh, lawyers at the the companies. And I just don't think the commission can be claiming to be on one side and then also claiming to be the independent decider of what's right. It, it just doesn't work. It, and it's leading to, as I said, us being marginalized, other consumer groups being ignored, weird positions being taken by the CRTC. Sometimes they're stepping in when they normally would leave it to other groups to bring up problems, and then other times they're they're not intervening when they should. So just 10, 20 minutes ago, I received a uh, note from the commission saying they were going to ask the industry to stop offering consumers three-year financing for their cell phones. And um, I, I guess what struck me about this, although I'm glad they said they've asked the, the companies to stop now, honestly, really they shouldn't be doing that. It should be either, say, the competitors or even PIAC bringing an application to CRTC to to ask them if it's appropriate that these three-year plans are on the market. And when the CRTC gets involved on its own motion, so to speak, it it looks like it's picking sides and it looks like it's prejudging things. And although on this one it looks like they're going to maybe hold up the industry from doing something that we thought was offside, really that's our job. I hate to say it, and I'm not going to say whether I just wrote four days' worth of stuff that I was going to (laughs) file... In a few minutes, and now I'm not going to or not, but 
maybe I did. And and so it's just bizarre. They're trying to do too much. They're they're trying to take on the role of public advocate and be adjudicator, and it's a very awkward fit. You sound so defeated, John. <laughs> I just did a ton of work, and now I got to throw it in the garbage. It's not true. They're they're running a process now. Um, and I'm sure we can recycle a lot of what we just worked on and uh, give the same arguments. But the unpredictability of it is is difficult. The other thing that's very strange about it is, yeah, they're they're kind of doing what I would do. It's happened on a couple of occasions. Also with um, customer service, again, this is telecommunications, a number of the cheaper cell phone providers, the flanker brands like Virgin or Fido, these sorts of things, have been either talking about or actually implementing policies where if you call, you write them on an old-fashioned letter or you uh, troop into the store, they will charge you for customer service. Whereas I would have thought that's part of the cost of doing businesses to serve your customers when they have problems. And maybe I was writing a Part 1 application about that too to ask the CRTC to review it. And then all of a sudden the CRTC said they're reviewing it. But... I have to say, unlike this situation with device financing, that one is many months old, <laughs> and nothing seems to be being done. Whereas uh, if something is filed with the CRTC from us or from one of the competitive competitor companies, then there's a timeline. It, it starts to happen in the formal way, and CRTC can sit back and look independent. Now, if it doesn't move forward, what does the public see? They see the regulator saying, oh, we got this and then not doing anything. And that doesn't inspire confidence in the regulator. It doesn't fix the problem one way or the other. And if I can add one last thing, there are a number of consumer issues outstanding in front of the CRTC that they have not resolved despite many months, and in one case, well over a year. And so my last example is companies charging for paper bills, same thing with the discount brands of the wireless companies like Kudo, we filed a complaint that Kudo tried to get their Kudo customers to no longer have paper invoices free. And we think that's required under the Telecom Act and required under commission rules. We filed an application well over a year ago and the commission has not issued a decision. And it's not up to me to say what their workload is or what they want to work on every day, but waiting a whole year for something that was really done in three months, I, I wonder if, again, a commercial dispute, they would leave it for a year before deciding. So the, the pace over there has slowed down to such an extent. Well, companies can do what they want and take a chance that they can get away with it for at least a year before they get told to stop it. And, and that's, that's a problem. Is there anything else you want to add, John? <laughs> Is there anything else I want to add? Makes me pine for the days of 2015. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, 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 it's funny because it's very much a frog boiling exercise here. Every time I think, oh, that's just a little change. CRTC's not doing it on purpose. They say all the right things. But if you look at, if you stand back and look at all the things that are happening them saying they're the public interest, them going slow on cost awards, them issuing decisions on consumer issues very slowly, them taking over files that I would think are consumer files that we would take up and then either sitting on them or 
doing something that we wouldn't ask for. It all adds up to a pattern of they are actually not helping the public interest. They are very much getting in the way, it's the nicest way to put it, and perhaps even trying to eliminate the previous expression of that in their proceedings. And I don't know why. I really do not know why. And they'll say that's not happening. I'm misinterpreting these signs, that they're all little things and they all make sense in their silo. But I have done this for enough years to notice that this is having an extreme effect. And the, one of the really specific effects of it is is we are nearly going out of business because we cannot operate in this environment with our present structure and our present expectations, which is if we just worked hard on CRTC, we would get enough money to survive. Now I have to go digging for public donations, which is hard in the present online environment because everybody's asking for them. I have to reconsider whether we'll ask for corporate donations, which of course is going to compromise our independence. I have to look for new types of work, perhaps training other advocates or looking for casual contracts on policy or something from the government, consumer policy, but those are thin and it leads it away from us away from our core mission, which is to be lawyers to the public at regulatory boards like CRTC. So it, it it's having a very profound effect on this organization, and I hope it's not so profound that we have to close. How close are you to that point, John? Well, it's me <laughs> in a room here. I have an articling student and a researcher, but that's probably too few to do the work we need to. And we have a large deficit, I'll admit it. We make all our payments on time at this time, and um, we intend to keep doing that. But let's just say I'm laying track in front of the locomotive, and there's always a possibility that we will um, be cash poor at any one particular time. And and the Canadian public interest scene is very thin. There are no government support funds effectively for groups that do our kind of work, and yet we get many, many requests every month from governments to put consumer input into consultations or to informally consult or to join regulatory proceedings or to otherwise put the consumer viewpoint forward and we never get paid for it. I would like to envision a world where our input is valued and understood by consumers and then is is somehow compensated in a fair way just enough to keep let us keep operating so we can continue to keep rates down and services really good for consumers. Thanks for joining us, John. Well, thanks for having me and listening to the whining. <laughs> but it's a it's a new world out there and I, I it never ceases to amaze me how how difficult telecom and broadcasting is. <laughs> so, good luck to everybody who's trying to go before this ERC these days. Um, you know, prepare for a long battle. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, John. Thanks. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks. Buddy. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, 
almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.